0: Welcome to Tutor Talk, the Tutor Doctor podcast where we talk about all things tutor. I'm Becky, the Tutor Experience Coordinator here at Tutor Doctor Home Office, and I'm your host. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the Global Tutor of the Year 2018 award. We'll chat with Natalie DeLosa, a tutor with Tutor Doctor in Los Angeles, about working with students who learn differently. We'll learn about Natalie's tips for dealing with mini meltdowns. And we'll hear the story of how Gwen Cassidy, a tutor with Tutor Doctor in the USA, helped her students succeed by being flexible and creative in her tutoring. Each year, Tutor Doctor celebrates all of the amazing tutors who work with us by holding the Tutor of the Year Award. Our 2018 Regional Tutor of the Year winners are now candidates for the Global Tutor of the Year Award. The Global Tutor of the Year 2018 is being selected by an esteemed panel of industry experts. This year, our panelists are Matt McCorkle, co founder of Clear Choice Test Prep, Lawrence Barnes, president and CEO of the Learning Disabilities Association of Ontario, Adam Muckle, president and fellow of the Tutors Association in the UK, and Mohan Dahl, CEO of the Australian Tutoring Association and Global Professional Tutors Association. The panel is currently reviewing the candidate packages of our seven regional Tutor of the Year 2018 winners Ermi Joshi, the Canada Tutor of the Year. Clarissa Romez, the U.S. West Tutor of the Year, Jan Hurst, the U.S. South Tutor of the Year, Emily Bacon-Picardi, the U.S. Midwest and Northeast Tutor of the Year, Daniela Galvez, the Latin America Tutor of the Year, Chris Hinsley, the U.K. Tutor of the Year, and Sam Marshall, the Australia and Africa Tutor of the Year. The Global Tutor of the Year 2018 winner will receive a trip of their choice valued at $2,500 Canadian. Best of luck to our regional winners, and stay tuned for the announcement of our Global Tutor of the Year 2018 winner. Today we have Natalie Delosa joining us. She's been a tutor for ten years. She's tutored with Tutor Doctor for the last year, and she's been a teacher for four years. She's also an alumni member of Teach for America, um, and. In that program, her school piloted an executive functions program for students that was focused on mindfulness, cooperative learning, and social, emotional, executive functioning skills. And they actually used karate to help teach these skills, which is so interesting and so amazing. Uh, Her current role is as a teacher in an alternative school where she works to develop learning plans for students who learn differently, and she specializes in working with students who have dyslexia and attention deficit disorder. So welcome, Natalie. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me, Becky. So happy to be here.
0: It's great. We're so excited. I was hoping that we could have a chat today about different students and how they're unique. So in your experience, what have you found with regards to uh, working with students who learn differently?
1: So when I work with students who learn differently, I make sure I know which accommodations they need um, to be successful in the classroom. But I don't like to look at what, if they have any diagnoses, what those are. I don't like to label them. I like to look at every student holistically based on my interactions with him or her. Um, Oftentimes I will have a student introduced to me with their label and possibly um, some perceptions attached to that label. And I really like to move away from that and consider each student's capacity from square one, like I would consider any other students. So I have extremely high expectations for my students. And um, again, I give them whatever accommodations they feel that they really, really need. But I always make sure that they're advocating for themselves, and it's not another adult advocating for them.
0: Yeah, that's very true. I've I've worked with students um, who learn differently as well, and I've found that anything that we can do to avoid putting them into a box uh, is always the best, you know. And teaching students that self advocacy. And how to speak up and say, I need this. Um, I would like it if it's really helpful in their education and outside of school as well. And I've also realized that the more that we try to box students in and put those labels on them, the more of a disadvantage we actually put them in because we're not giving them the opportunity to really uh, flourish in their learning and really stretch their limits and see what it is that they can do.
1: Yes. It's, it's all about high expectations for me. Students will rise. They will rise to the expectations you set. So the higher you set them, the more they can achieve, I feel.
0: Absolutely. I totally agree. And I think it's really important to get to know your students um, without looking at the label um, and really to understand their learning needs because every student is so unique um, and you really need to understand their learning needs as well as their needs for comfort and their social needs and their physical needs as well. You know, sometimes that means that you just work in an alternative workspace. You know, working at the kitchen table doesn't do it for that student so you end up sitting on the floor or you just you just find that place where they're comfortable and they feel like they're best able to learn
1: yes having said that I do work mostly with um, upper school students in that role the younger the student the I the more I do rely on the parent for strategies and sometimes in those when the students are younger the parent really is more familiar with better ways that they learn because this the student isn't super you know like they don't know what exactly what they need yet, so um, parent relationships are super super important to me. Um, and we are all on like a unified team to help the students succeed. But I do, I do try and 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 set their limits to the the best they can be, and it has been working really well. All my students are in regular ed classes; they just come to me for support, so they're they're able to achieve whatever
0: a normal gen ed student can achieve, and it's awesome. That's great. And what you say about parent relationships is so true. I think that we can glean a lot from what the parents have to say with regards to their children, especially with the younger students. I mean, the parents are the ones who spend all of the time with them, right? So asking the parents the things that they have seen to be helpful in the school and outside of school um, is really beneficial as a tutor to make sure that you're doing everything that you can to support that student. So I wholeheartedly agree with that.
1: Yeah. Parents, they love their kids. They want to see them succeed too. So it's very motivating.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to working with exceptional students or students who learn differently, um, there's lots of different strategies that we can use in lots of different tools and just ways of of tutoring. Um, but have you found that there are any key strategies that you find really helpful for these students?
1: It really depends on each student. I try to look at every student on a case-by-case basis. Um, and it also, it depends on their learning style. Um, I think the thing you said about environment is something huge that works across all students. Finding a comfortable distraction-free environment and again some students are distracted by things that other students aren't distracted by so distraction-free could look different for different students but environment is huge Um, I find that that is a key ingredient of focus among all students um, exceptional or not so finding a place where they feel comfortable and also relationships I think is a really underrated part of teaching I think a lot of times teachers get really hung up on academics and um, performance, and it's, it's really about relationships. Everything in life is about relationships, and my school did a whole professional development on um, the importance of forming relationships with students because basically people don't want to learn from people that they don't like. So relationships are extremely important. I always make sure we do wellness check-ins um, so they know I'm not just concerned about their grades. Also, when it comes to grades, I make sure that those goals really are theirs because I want them to see a bigger picture than getting an A in geometry. You know, why are you getting an A in geometry? Maybe you should be, you know, maybe you get a B in geometry and you get an A in something that's more aligned with your career goals and time management and stuff like that. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. No, I totally agree, and I I think you hit the nail on the head with that. Every student is unique, so the strategies that will work for each student are going to be different, Um, but relationship is key. And and what you said about goals as well, I mean, that holds true for everybody, um, adults as well. And I think that we all are going to work harder and feel more achievement when we reach a goal that is important to us and that we've set as opposed to one that somebody else has told us that we need to reach for. So I think setting meaningful goals for each individual student is is a key thing to do. Um, and it just helps to motivate as well. And I think another thing to consider as well is um, as you're building that relationship and you're getting to know your student getting to understand things like their verbal and nonverbal cues so you can see, you know, those moments when you can tell they're getting frustrated or maybe they need a break, um, as well as learning their interests and incorporating that into your tutoring sessions to be able to work from those interests. Uh, I mean, I know from experience that uh, students are not necessarily, if they're a reluctant reader, they're not necessarily that excited to read a book but if you find a book that's about something that they're interested in, they're going to be much more willing to dive in and start to to work through that story. Um, so the more that we can work from their interests, the more that we can create unique learning opportunities for each student.
1: Yeah, that's a great example with the reading. So true.
0: And I found that with my son. So my son is in grade two and uh, he does like to read but there have been times when you know his teacher has has given him something to read and he looks at me and says mom I don't want to read this I'd rather read one of my Pokemon books or my Captain Underpants books or you know he's excited to read but he's not excited to read about something that doesn't interest him and I have to admit I'm exactly the same if it doesn't interest me I really don't want to read it so we need to think about our students the same way we think about ourselves so if If we're not interested in something, we're not going to be motivated to complete it necessarily. So our students would be the same.
1: Yeah, and let's be real, Captain Underpants is hilarious.
0: I know. I love reading it with him. That one and Dogman is the other one that he really likes. And Dogman is really interesting for reluctant readers because it's in a graphic novel form. And there's still quite a bit of text in it with speech bubbles and all of that. But kids really feel like they're reading a comic strip instead of a book. So it can really be something that they grab onto and they're really interested in. So and it's always great when it's interesting for you, too.
1: Yeah, I want to think that a little bit because I had a student who was reading The Scarlet Letter in one of her classes. And um, I talked to teachers at other schools and one of the teachers at uh, the big public high school out here says she teaches The Scarlet Letter graphic novel because... Nathaniel Hawthorne's language is really inaccessible to 21st century teen audiences, which is is mostly true. So I went out and I got the graphic novel and I said, Hey, you know, like we can read this version if you want. And she said, No, I want to read the original version. Like we had a lot of different levels, but she wanted to, she wanted to read the hard one, which was so cool. And she's really getting it, and she's really like getting into the text and like finding her own meanings of things. And I just was like, so inspired that she, she didn't want the easy way. You know, she wanted to, she wanted a challenge, which was awesome. And it's, she's dyslexic. So it's even extra hard for her to read.
0: Wow. the scarlet letter is a difficult one for sure. And it's great that she's rising to that challenge. But again, that's a goal that she set for herself. Right. And that's, what's helping to motivate her. Yes. So that's great. So those are some some things that tutors can take away and and consider when they're working with their students and they're getting to know their students. But what about tutors themselves? I know that there there are some students that present a very unique challenge for a tutor and it can be stressful uh, to help motivate these students and engage them in tutoring sessions. So have you found anything particularly helpful for you as a tutor in order to kind of keep you motivated?
1: Um, I am pretty motivated because I I love, I find it very enriching to invest in other people, but I definitely know what you're talking about, um, those students who have a resistance. My first student with Tutor Doctor, I tutored him five days a week in all subjects and study strategies, and um, he was really, people had told me he was going to be challenging, but I thought he was really, really fun. Um, he just had a different learning style. And again, that relationship and um, that environment and the student-centered goals was all super helpful in making him less stressed out about the session. Another thing I want to speak to are brain breaks, because a lot of times as, as tutors, I think we feel, oh, you know, we're we only have an hour. We can't afford to take a brain break. And I feel like you can't afford not to take a brain break because... Sometimes that's what they need. And um, when I was teaching in a classroom, the suggestion was that you switch students to a different task every 20 minutes, because that is the attention span of a fourth grader. So the more you can break stuff up for students who are in that situation, the better. Also the brain break, it doesn't have to look like a brain break to you. So for this student. Um, He was really challenged by spelling for so for a brain break, we would play hangman, which is still learning, you know, that's still something that the parents expect to be getting out of the hour and you can kind of, you know, do something that's fun and educational and tell the students it's a brain break and then they feel like that's that counts. So I'm a big fan of brain breaks when it comes to the students in a way that sort of sneakily keeps them on track.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I've done that with students as well. Um, it seems that my last uh, group of tutoring students were on the younger side. I I have tutored older students as well, but uh, recently I've had younger students, and I found that with one girl in particular, she loves dance breaks, and that seems to be what allows her to refocus. So I went online and on YouTube and all these teaching sites, you can find all kinds of songs that are education aligned. And so we'll play these songs and sing these songs and have this mini dance break, but she's still learning. Um, And one of the ones that she loves the most, which is pretty funny, um, we just march in place and we were learning about um, place value. And so we were marching in place and, and we just do it as like a chant. Like, I don't know what I've been told tens are tall and ones are small right because as we're talking about the um the place value cubes and it just was something that helped her remember when she's working with the the rods and the cubes and the flats what it is that she's looking at and it was just so silly but it was her favorite thing to do and we're not even working on place value anymore and we still every once in a while have to stop and and do our little march and sing our little songs so finding the things that work for each individual student with regards to a brain break is really beneficial. And I mean, and it's helpful for us as tutors as well, because sometimes we feel that we're in a place where we're, we're struggling to move the session forward. And we need that moment to catch our breath and step back and kind of regroup. So a brain break is not just beneficial for for the student. It's also really beneficial for us as tutors as well.
1: Yeah, I love what you said about the marching in place. That's so cute. And um, another great thing about brain breaks, I wrote an article for this for the tutor, about this for the tutor doctor blog. But can you like moving? Moving is so important. That's why they give kids recess. You know, moving is amazing. And even if you're watching a goofy video, like younger kids really go for Go Noodle, which is hilarious. Those videos are so funny. And even if they don't have an educational, message there it's still executive function you're still learning how to control your body and getting that cross body interaction which is of course whenever you cross from the left sphere to the right sphere for example moving your your right hand to your left foot that's actually super good for your brain so even if it seems silly it's it's not it's all so important and part of like the whole student experience i love dance breaks sorry
0: um yeah my sons are as i said in grade two and the other one's in uh senior kindergarten so he's five and they always come home every day and mom this is what we did with go noodle today and they're so excited by go noodle and it it cracks me up it's it's a really great program to use with students um but jumping off of what you just said um i kind of had a thought about flexibility uh in terms of tutors um but looking for those brain breaks that uh that spark your students interest and allow them that that moment to get out some energy and build some executive functioning skills and movement skills. Um, I think that as tutors, one of the the biggest tools that we have in our backpack in order to help us get through um, those challenging moments with students is to be flexible. Um, And I think it's really important for us to remember that if something's not working, it's okay. Have a quick brain break, Uh, take that moment to regroup, and then change things up, and really make sure that you're letting your students' needs lead the session. And that can be really helpful in keeping the student engaged, as well as keeping you as a tutor kind of in in that good place where you're able to effectively tutor.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: To add on to that as well, I think as tutors, we need to make sure that we're being creative as well in our tutoring, um, you know, thinking outside the box, being engaging and finding those different ways that speak to our students to deliver the material. So if that means that you use Go Noodle for a little bit and and or you sing a song or you play Hangman with spelling words or whatever, you're finding those ways to engage with your student in order to help you have more productive sessions.
1: Yeah. Totally. Like you said, flexibility, creativity, knowing your student, all part of a great tutor
0: experience. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think they're all really, really helpful. So, I think one more thing for tutors to keep in mind while they're they're working through their tutoring sessions is if they do find themselves coming into a situation where they're finding a lot of challenge with a particular student. I mean, I worked with a student once who, uh, who was disengaged from traditional education. He'd been in the corrections system uh, for a while and he was returning back to traditional education, but we had to get him caught up first. And he was a particularly challenging student to work with, um, with regards to behavior and engagement. And I I really did struggle to, find a way to connect him with the material we were successful in the end but it it was It was definitely a challenge. So I think one really important thing for tutors to remember is that if you're up against something like that and you're finding that you're having that kind of struggle or you just need somebody to to bounce some ideas off of or just maybe get some strategy suggestions, uh, I think tutors need to remember to always uh, reach out to their local office for support. I mean, that's what the local office is there for, uh, to be that support system for you. You don't have to do it alone and also call the local office to tell them about your successes. You know, call them to tell them that your student just got an A plus on their paper. Uh, they love to hear the success stories as well. And uh, and they're really there to be the per- the people standing behind you to really help support you in your tutoring efforts. So I think that's really important for for tutors to remember as well.
1: Yeah, it's a great organization. And for students like that who have especially been sort of burned by the system, The one-on-one is so transformative for them. And a lot of times they just want to know that you're not going to go away. And that, again, goes back to that relationship and that like looking at the whole student. And I think Tutor Doctor is really, really awesome in that it, it, it does that for students. So that's another thing that makes Tutor Doctor so great is because the students are already in their own home, a place they feel safe, which is so amazing.
0: Yeah, and I think it's really beneficial. And for that particular student that I worked with, being able to be in the comfort of his own home, it was protective for him. He didn't feel like people were watching him. He wasn't being judged. And I think that one-on-one connection was really helpful for him too because so many adults had already failed him in his life. So he had somebody that he knew was on his side, uh, which I think was really beneficial for him. And I know there's a lot of tutors Within uh, the network that are working with students who have disengaged from traditional education and are facing the same thing, and they're being that support person for their student. And I think that's something that's so special and it's so beneficial for the student. So um I'm it's really exciting that we get to make those connections with with students when when we're working with tutor doctors. So it's great. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Natalie. It was great to have you, and uh, I'm really excited that we got to have this conversation and share all of this with the tutors that are working with us here at Tutor Doctor.
1: Thank you, Becky. I had a lovely time, and thank you to everyone out there listening. Stick with it; it's, it's awesome. I promise you'll be you'll feel really <laughs> rewarded. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, all
0: right. Well, thank you, Natalie, and we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks, Becky. Bye. Bye. A huge thank you to Natalie for joining us on the podcast today. As she mentioned in her chat, Natalie submitted a blog post called Five Ways to Deal with Mini Meltdowns, and she gives some really great tips for helping students work through those moments when they're feeling emotional or overwhelmed. I'm going to share her blog post with you today. Natalie writes, Kids are wonderful and talented, but sometimes their emotions get the best of them. What do you do when your student gets frustrated with schoolwork? Here are some reasons they might be upset and ways to help them out. Number one. There's something else going on. When a student has trouble focusing on work, they oftentimes have something else on their minds. Check in with kids regularly and give them a safe space to share feelings. All the time, not just on off days. A quick, how was school today, or how are things with your friends, can help your student decompress before a study session. Making check-ins part of your routine means that when your student has something heavy on their plate, they feel more comfortable sharing. School is as much about social and emotional development as it is about grades. Make sure your student knows you care about their well being first and schoolwork second. Number two, too much work. Students can feel overwhelmed by their classes, especially elementary students transitioning to middle school or middle school students transitioning to high school. You can offer your student many skills to combat work overload. First, encourage your student to keep a planner where they can write down due dates, tests, and assignments. Second, break work into chunks. For example, If your student has a science test on Wednesday and a math test on Friday, study for science for 40 minutes and math for 20 minutes on Monday and slowly shift the time frame towards math. Ask your student how much time they think they'll need for each thing. They'll know. Set timers and make study time focused and productive. After they've finished one chunk, take a brief brain break before moving on. This helps students focus on each challenge individually and climb that mountain of work one step at a time. Number three, too much energy. Kids have to sit still all day. They need to move. If your student has the wiggles, take a quick break, shoot some hoops, or have a mini dance party to get out some anxious energy. They can have more playtime after work time. This works for adults too. Number five, they gave up. If your student feels there's no way to bring up a low grade, they try to opt out. Emphasize knowledge over grades. Reference an upcoming semester when they will have a fresh start in the grade book. Find an aspect of the subject your student feels confident in, like addition in math or vocabulary in English, or an aspect of science or history in which they have an interest. So much learning happens intrinsically. Chances are studying one part of a subject will help their overall grade in the long run. Remember, there are more important things in life than grades, like learning. We all have our stressful days. Your student has them too. Addressing the root cause of their frustration makes your student's life more productive and tutoring more effective and successful. Thank you so much for submitting that blog post, Natalie. Your tips are spot on and very helpful. If you have a blog post that you'd like to submit, you'll find the link to our submission form in the description of this episode. Today's tutor story comes to us from Gwen Cassidy, a tutor in the U.S., Gwen used her creativity and flexibility to find a way of learning that really worked for her students' needs. Gwen writes, One of my favorite students continually struggled to learn basic math facts. Although her skill level was that of students three to four grades below her, she was dedicated to working hard to improve. Last year, she had such a difficult time that her parents were afraid she would not pass math and have to repeat the class. However, the students saw this challenge as a learning opportunity. With help from a teacher who provided me with additional resources to utilize during our tutoring sessions, I devised a new strategy for preparing the student to pass math. This involved having her create her own set of math facts flashcards, a process that often helps to facilitate memorization. I encouraged the student's parents to drill her with the flashcards nightly and to hold aside the facts that she struggled with so she and I could work on them together. In less than three tutoring sessions, the student had memorized all of the facts and was able to provide answers without any hesitation. The experience taught her a great deal about learning math, and we both learned a valuable lesson. When something isn't working, don't be afraid to try a different course of action. Her success underscored the importance of adapting my tutoring approach to the challenges of each individual student. Not only did I come up with a new study plan, but I also altered my tutoring style, becoming firmer, and focusing on time management. The student noticed a difference, and although she commented to her mother that I was stricter during our sessions, she also felt like she was learning more effectively. All of our students change and develop as we work with them. I believe our primary job as tutors is to recognize this and find ways to meet each student's evolving needs. Our secondary responsibility is to help them learn new material, and our tertiary duty is to give them the necessary tools to train themselves. While I'm no longer working with this student due to changing needs, I have treasured watching her mature and come into her own as a person. Of all of my students, she has grown the most academically and socially. Knowing that I've been able to support both her education and personal development gives me great joy. What a great story, Gwen. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. As Natalie and I were discussing during our chat, it can be so helpful if we're flexible and creative in our tutoring style and making sure that we're doing things that align with our students' interests and work with their way of learning. Letting our students' needs lead the tutoring session is very beneficial in making a big impact on them, both as students and as people. Thanks so much for joining me. The next episode will be released in two weeks, so check back for more interviews, development topics, tips, and stories from tutors just like you. Happy tutoring, and we'll talk to you next time.